Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm. And I'm Ryan. And on this episode, we're going to do some games of late. We're going to do some a little bit of news. And uh, Ryan, this is a special episode. Uh, what do we got going on? Yeah, we're bringing back the designer series with friend of the show, designer extraordinaire, Shen Fung Lim coming with us. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They're the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories' amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. And we're back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. We're going to go straight into some games of late. We're going to, uh, yeah, throw some games around and talk about it. So, Ryan, why don't you start us off? Because, you know, you don't talk about Marvel too much. I'm serious. <laughs> like, like, like this is getting bad at this point because they released so much content for this game and I just consume it all. Of course, it's Marvel Champions designed uh, by Fantasy Flight Games. And of course, they just came out with, well, just released in Canada not too long ago, the latest big box expansion called the Mad Titan Shadow for the game. So it's a brand new campaign. Of course, it's the Mad Titan. There's Thanos. Spoiler alert, Thanos <laughs> is not the big bad of Ooh, the campaign box. That was my first question. Yeah. There you go. Um, if you look on the back of the box, you'll figure it out who, all, oh, <laughs> who the big bad is. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so no, it's a really good, it's a really good expansion. Um, it's introducing two new heroes, Adam Warlock and uh, Monica Rambo, also known as oh, Spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was really excited because I love the mystic style things that they used to do in this game. Like uh, Scarlet Witch was a really good character to play. Of course, Doctor Strange is my jam. I <laughs> oh, love yeah. that character and love deck building around him. So Adam Warlock came and I thought I was going to really like him. But I actually like playing Spectrum better because she's got some really neat things going on. She's got like these um, different energy forms that she can turn into. What's what's her what's her gig in the in the lore? Like she's able to like phase shift or something like that. She can control and turn into all spectrums of light. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's a yeah. light thing. Okay. Yeah, because there was she. So she's good. old Captain Marvel, or in between Captain Marvel, or she's she's a yeah, formerly known as a bunch of things. <laughs> Photon, right. Captain Marvel, Spectrum. Yeah. So she's got like her photon form. She's got her gamma form. Nice. And when she's yeah, in so these different can, yeah, forms, radiant yeah. energy forms, that's right. When she's in these different forms in the game, um, they provide her different bonuses. So like her gamma form is like the one that like I, I stay in the most because that's like the damage dealing 
form and everything. That's her aggressive form. And she's got cards that if she's in the gamma form, she just does like buttloads and piles of damage type of thing. So um, it's really, it's been really good. The campaign is well-paced. Um, like the very first scenario is Ebony Ma and he's got all his, like, he's got all the, this stuff flying at the heroes. Like he's got mm. rubble and he's got cars and he's got all this stuff just on just pounding the heroes left, right, and center. And you just got to try to manage that and defeat them. And then there's like, there's, I think the first time ever there's a tower defense, like there's like a castle defense type oh, cool. of scenario against uh, Proxima Midnight and Corvus Glaive. Um, they're attacking the Avengers tower and you just got to beat them off and defend the Avengers tower before they actually over, they overcome it. Spoiler. Spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> And then, yeah, then there's like the Mad Titan himself, Thanos. He's got his Infinity Gauntlet, and there's an Infinity Stone deck that you, every time, every turn, he gets a new Infinity Stone, like oh, man. blasting you, all different kinds of things. And then I don't know if I should spoil it on the show who are the other Shh. two villains. Okay, okay, yeah, go read the back of the box. <laughs> spoil it for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. spoil it for yourselves. It's um, too new. It's too new. Really neat storyline. Really neat storyline that they did with it. I think it's the best storyline that they came up with for a campaign. Nice. Yeah, it now sounds my, really cohesive. I like that. Now, my only thing is here, so this is the third campaign box that they've released for the game. And they've treated campaigns differently in each of the campaign boxes. Like the way that your characters build and grow mm. in each campaign okay. is completely different. Like in Red Skull... Every other scenario, after you beat the scenario, it says, hey, take a look at these cards. Pick one for your hero. Oh, yeah, yeah. And now you have it. In Galaxy's Most Wanted, um, there was a market, so you could earn victory points after a scenario, and you could spend your victory points to upgrade your hero, which I really liked. I liked that thing. I, my only downside on Galaxy's Most Wanted that it was very hard to earn experience <laughs> points. <laughs> There's and no cheat this, codes, man. No cheat codes. And then this campaign, you actually have to do something like there's like a side scheme that might come out. And if you manage to, like, you know, solve or beat that side scheme in the midst of everything else that's going on, you'll get some sort of bonuses that you can carry forward into new scenarios. Cool. Or if like certain villains or certain enemies engaged with you and you beat them, they no longer will appear later on in the campaign because you already beat them up in an earlier scenario right. type of thing. Yeah. So they, 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 they're continuing this trend that they do the campaigns differently every single time. Right on. So you, you, day you, <laughs> go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, out of all three, you seem to like the middle one the best where you get to point by stuff. So I like the way that they did the campaign on that one the best. The story wasn't as engaging for right. me. But, but you I like the point way by. I like the point buying. Like yeah. I earned some my experience points. I'm leveling mm. up and I can buy this really, really powerful upgrade to my hero or now mm. or something like that. I do kind of like what they did with the, the mad Titan shadow. Now I kind of wish they can now in the next one, fantasy flight, if you're listening, um, <laughs> if you can, can combine, if you can combine the best of both of those campaigns into the next one, I, I, you're going to have, cause the next one's a Spider-Man campaign. I believe it's like Miles Morales and Ghost Spider are like the heroes. And, oh, cool. And it's the Sinister Six type of thing coming in. Mm -hmm. So, right on. Um, 
let me let me level up miles. I want to I want to level up miles for miles. <laughs> so you're saying that you'd like like a the side quests, but you earn points that you get to buy stuff with after. He wants the full meal. Nailed deal. it. Nailed it. Yeah, that's exactly I what I. That's exactly what I want. Because when you go do the side quest and you're like, oh, that's the card I get for that. Eh. Yeah. You're so maybe like, not so happy with that or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. So like in the agency to the, uh, to yeah. the outcome. Yeah. Like everybody, the, the, this is a, this one's already been spoiled. Everybody knows about this one. In the second scenario, the side scheme that comes out is the shawarma place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so that. if you can protect, if you can protect the shawarma <laughs> place, you get a shawarma card nice. into your deck. <laughs> and it provides you and it provides you like mad resources because you eat your shawarma while you're beating up the bad guys. And now you got all this energy that you can spend. As- That's like the, funny. the biggest ad for shawarma ever. It's awesome. <laughs> it's amazing. It was amazing. When I flipped that card over, I was like, yes, this you guys awesome. are awesome. Yeah, that is great. cool. So you're enjoying yeah. this. Awesome. I, I, I am thoroughly enjoying it. Um, ranking of the villains that you get in this campaign overall. I think this set of villains, I think, is the best set of the three campaigns. Nice. I like nice. the Galaxy's Most Wanted campaign mode yeah. the best, but I like the set of villains that you get in this, this one because they do quite a bit different. On, they, they, they feel different when you're playing them. All right. Mm-hmm. Right on. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on 8th Street in Saskatoon. Well, as we mentioned at the top of the show, we have a we have a special guest on this episode, and we're gonna I'm gonna pitch it straight to Sen because uh, oh. you have something um, different, but still part of that whole um, storytelling genre of board games and such. So, what what do you got going on? Sure. And it's actually kind of, you know, linked to what Ryan was saying. I, I, I've been playing this a lot lately, which is Masks, A New Generation, which is a, an RPG done in the, using the PBTA engine, the Powered by the Apocalypse engine, written by the one Mr. Brendan Conway, published by Magpie Games, um, who I write for, for the Avatar Legends series, which is also using Powered by the Apocalypse. Um, and so I've been running a campaign for a bunch of people who like are not real role players so okay and i don't mean like fake role players versus real role players i mean like people who just never role play before like yeah. one of them is like i've never done this before i was like okay good let's play a game together you know um and so it's just a bunch of us who play i i'm the 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 gm in this but yeah. masks is a game about uh superpowered teenagers so if you can think of touchstones like uh, you know cloak and dagger new mutants mm-hmm. um teen titans yeah. that kind of stuff young justice so very angsty very you know relational but also powerful but maybe don't have full control of their powers and that's what this game is all about but my favorite actually like my favorite part of the game is that there's no stats like you'd think of stats so okay, okay. quick norm what do you think some stats would be for superheroes um strength would be an obvious one Sure. Speed. Sure. 
Yeah. Agility. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. But no, no, that's not the stats <laughs> in this game. Let me tell you the stats. I'm just going to find the stats in this game for you. <laughs> the stats in this game are uh, uh, danger. Yeah. Freak. Yeah. Uh, what else is there? There's, um, I got to find the list. <laughs> Where's the actual list? Oh, I'll just look at the character sheet here at the back. See, my teacher brain's going, titles don't mean anything. What what do they do? But like, they what do. are they connected to? No, that's, they that's... do totally mean things in this. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just got to find the, I got to find them for you so you understand. I have to go uh, into a schema shift because I'm all D&D kind of mentality. Right, and that, that's, the, I, that's the thing, right? That uh, That's why I like this game a lot. Um, what grades do you teach? I teach high school. Right. Yeah. Grades. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. From Ontario. We don't have grade 13. So I, uh, nine. We 10, don't 11, either 12. anymore. We oh. don't either anymore. No. Okay. Got rid of that a couple decades ago. <laughs> that's, um, yeah, that's how long I've been paying attention. Yeah, right. <laughs> but like both of you teach teenagers, right? Yeah. 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 So let me tell you how this game works in terms of the stats really aren't stats. They're actually called labels. And um, oh, nice. Uh, so. I uh, can't find a character sheet. Where's a good character sheet? This here? is cool because um, Ryan and I <laughs> at school have the board game club. And uh, um, just before pandemic started, I started like an RPG uh, um, kind of uh, segment to it. Yeah. And there was a good core group of kids. And then we went into pandemic and then it just kind of went, okay, well, I hope that when we get back and are able to uh, to go full swing again, that I can get that RPG uh, mm-hmm. momentum to the group as well. Yeah, because they loved it. They were yeah. eating that. They were eating that club up. Well, and <laughs> that's great. And um, like I, I've got kids on bikes and kids on brooms just because oh, of that whole age segment to, yeah. to have a relational kind of context to teens in space. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I've, I've written for most of those. That's good. Oh, cool. So, so here it's danger, freak, mundane, savior, and superior. Those are your stats. You're going, Sen, what do you mean those are stats? It's not strength or dexterity or wisdom or constitution or even comeliness. That's none of those things. Do you remember comeliness? <laughs> oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Out? That's that's AD&D second edition. <laughs> a, I remember that. What a yeah. horrible, horrible stat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so silly. Um, so if you think about the teenagers that you teach or teenagers that you might even have as family members, yeah. you know that teenagers often like influence how they how they think about themselves by listening to other people. Oh yeah. Right? Oh yeah. That's what this game is about. In this game, like when you are, when you uh, change your character, you just shift your labels. I feel more dangerous today or I feel more superior. And you can go go up and down. Like I feel less superior. I feel more like a savior today than I feel. uh, I don't feel mundane at all. I feel like a freak, right? Yeah. It's really, really cool because if you think about it, even just from a psychological perspective, the idea of, you know, if a villain like laughed in your face, all of a sudden you might feel, you know, not so secure anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. And it doesn't matter how strong you are or how fast you are, you still feel insecure. So you're not going to perform as well. Right. So it's all about the, the labels that we take for ourselves and that other people put on us yeah. and that sometimes we might by our own actions change how we think about ourselves it's interesting right? yeah so it's really really cool because it's, it's teenagers in a nutshell and i love this teenagers. is making my brain fire off because uh, in parent teacher interviews a lot of the times um i'll tell some parents that you know not to worry because they're just trying on different masks right now yeah right right and then and then it's like oh my yeah. god there's that's the title right so 
it's it's a it's a cool kind of um, you know a, a facade wrapped around that that psychological idea of yeah of personality. It's really really quick to make a very fleshed out character uh, because they're, they're playbooks, right? So PBDA, yeah. powered by apocalypse runs off of playbooks where you pick an archetype and then you kind of choose some things here and there, <laughs> but most of people of that archetype are like that. Um, and then there's only one archetype of each archetype per play group. So you can't have seven fighters and one wizard. Yeah. You have to have, you know, one of each thing, which makes for a more well-rounded story. And the thing about the moves that you can do, so you can do moves that are very like power oriented, but none of the moves are like you have, uh, you know, a fire blast. It's more like, um, you know, you're engaging a foe. Mm-hmm. Okay, how do I engage my foe? Well, how do you think you engage your foe? Okay, what kind of character are you? So if you were, you know, let's say we're talking Spider Man, Spider Man yeah. would say something in the narrative like, I, uh, you know, a cartwheel over his head, spinning backwards, wink at him as I'm shooting webs in his eyes to blind him, right? You say, okay, roll to directly engage a threat. Cause it sounds like you tried to directly engage the threat. And then he might say, no, 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 no. I'm actually trying to, you know, provoke him into attack me. Oh, okay. Roll to provoke. Okay. Right? So the narrative drives the move. Nice. The move isn't necessarily, you know, a specific power like flight yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. You might have that, yeah. but it's really in how you describe the narrative. So there's a lot of narrative control, uh, which is really good for, you know, people who don't like to talk in some ways it's good to get them Mm -hmm. out of the shell. Right. And it's also really good for people who maybe have that flair about wanting to describe a situation. And then you as a GM are listening and say, Oh, it sounds like you're trying to defend somebody, or it sounds like you're trying to do this other thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then they can, you know, can describe it a little more. Yeah. And then, uh, PBTA, if you don't know the dicing system for you math nerds out there, which is like all of us, in this world, <laughs> uh, roll, you roll 2d6. That's it. It's just 2d6. There's not mm. like any funky shaped dice. It's 2d6. Uh, and uh, those of you who are math nerds, which is like all of us in this room, will understand when I say uh, zero to six is a failure, seven to uh, 10 is a marginal success. And 11 and 12 is a superior success. Makes sense, right? Absolutely. And that's, it's really simple. So a marginal success means most likely it's like what you, you did what you want, but there's probably a consequence or they hit you back or it's unstable because you're not as powerful as you thought you were, or you don't have the control you thought you did, or there's a cost to it in some way. And then a superior one is maybe you get two choices instead of one choice. Maybe you get... Uh, choice with no consequence whatsoever. So it's real easy to play. The math is super simple. And you don't gain experience like in D&D. You gain experience by killing things and killing yeah. things gets you more yeah. experience to get more stuff to kill more things. Yeah. Uh, in PBTA games, typically you don't get experience. You actually get potential. And you only get it when you fail a roll. So the more you fail the roll, the, the more, more you potential learn. yeah you learn some more from that yeah and you're like oh okay and, and in fact all the failures always make the stories more interesting so well and that's gonna ask, system i was gonna ask you too like um because i i dm a lot of stuff in yeah. in the 5e and um there's the what i'm noticing or listening to here is that the consequential results are they are they narratively developed by the 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 
GM, the, the GM and the player, or are there in your, in your campaign scenario, or do you have um, arc lines that you're following? You might have arc lines that you're following, but you're gen- like, generally for me, this is a no prep game. I do no zero, absolutely yeah. no prep. Um, you might've seen some of my stuff that I do afterwards where I have this like big uh, like flow chart or mind map of everybody who's interconnected now. Mm-hmm. But that's all my, my players did that all. I didn't think of any of that. Yeah. They designed all of that and I just archive it for them. Right. But let's say, so here's an example of a move, you know, directly engage a threat. When you directly engage a threat, whatever, however you decided to do that, like I yeah. fly through the air and uh, hit him with a, you know, clothesline as a move. And it's in, all right? narratively driven, right? Yeah. And okay. so, oh, you roll to, uh, you know, roll plus danger, right? Because directly engaging a threat involves how dangerous you yeah. think you are as a person, right? Because you've seen those cartoons or comics when there's a hero who's like super powerful, but is very meek. Yeah. And so yeah. they would probably, it doesn't matter how powerful they are, they're not going to engage a threat. Whereas those little feisty people who are like maybe not super powerful, but are fighters, like just mentality wise. <laughs> you like, described half my family. So, <laughs> well, or, or like for those of you who are Canadian, like all of us, and yeah. Yeah, you remember things like Alpha Fight. Oh, like, yeah. right. Like, like Puck. Puck would <laughs> have a pretty decent high danger because he is, he has almost like, we don't really know what Puck's powers are, to be honest. Uh, I, I'm sure somewhere in my collected Marvel universes, I do know what Puck's powers are. But um, when you just basically see Puck, Puck is like this little short guy dressed in black with a P on his chest. Uh, like a puck, like a hockey puck. Uh, and he, he does cartwheels and rolls around. He's kind of strong, but not really super strong or anything like that. But anyways, he will fight tooth and nail uh, to protect Canada and what Canada stands for. Um, anyway, so if you roll 2d6 on this uh, and you, you roll 2d6 and then you add your stat, whether it's positive or negative, you add danger. Hmm. So you have a, say you're puck and you have like a plus two danger. That's a really good danger. Uh, then you, if you roll 10 or more, once you combine it all, you pick two from this list. If you rolled seven or okay. nine, you pick one. And the how to do this list is like, you resist or avoid their blows. You take something from them. You create an opportunity okay. for your allies. You impress, surprise, or frighten the opposition. That's your list, right? And then uh, if you don't take resist or avoid their blow, the next thing you're going to be doing is you take a powerful blow because anytime you hit yeah. them, they hit you. Yeah. There's, a, there's no initiative. There's no like yeah. tactical battle map. It's like all theater of mind. Yeah. But all those things mean different things. Like take something from them. Okay. What do you take from them? Uh, I, you is... know, sometimes it's really physical. Like I take the staff that they were just aiming at me. Sometimes yeah. it's like I take their, you know, their pride. Oh, that's interesting. How do you do that? Well, I'm going to do this. And, you know, isn't that impressed, surprised, or frightened? No, no, no. I actually, you know, I take their sense of pride by pantsing them yeah. in front of their audience. <laughs> oh. Okay. This is this is very cool because um, uh, as Ryan I remembers, I used to teach drama and then moved over oh, to French immersion. Yeah, perfect. So these are, all, these are all improv prompts that yeah. are, that are, you know, listed where you're able to go, okay, we're going this direction. We're going this direction. How do you respond? How do you react? Yeah. Right. And, and you as the GM yeah. can react to their prompts too, right? Yeah. And Which each, is great. Yeah. And each um, uh, kind of a strategy objective resolution is the development of the next scene. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I, and it, Ryan's going to laugh because, Ryan, guess what page I have up over here? I, I, I might have to, it's like, put this in my cart. Yes, please. 
<laughs> so, so yeah, I've Beauty. got masks and new generation right in front of me. And uh, there you, you go. You, you've sold me completely, completely. Yeah, it's it's a great system. I re- I adore it. Like I really am very smitten by it. Um, so yeah, you know, it's 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 easy to GM. You don't have just like any any role playing game. You don't have to use all the stuff in the yeah. book. But the book does a really good job. One of my favorite things about the book is the language that it teaches players and GMs to use by nice. just giving descriptions, like uh, by giving like examples of what players would say and what a, yeah. how a GM would respond. Yeah. Because it's slightly turned on its head from like most regular GMing. So anyway, that's, yeah, that's, that's I'm so I'm loving lately. I'm loving that flip of of perspective on how you can approach character. And approachabilities, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's more it's more like kids on bikes than D and D. If you had to, yeah, you know, nice. pick. Well, I I like the fact that whenever we have guests on the show, we spend money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems to be a trend lately. That's a thing. That's a thing. <laughs> um, I'm gonna quickly blurb on what I played because um, it was really cool, and I want to play more. And that's uh, War of Whispers, and I think. The first time I caught wind of this was uh, Shut Up and Sit Down, uh, did a review on it. And I don't know if it's if it's the games that they pick work for me, or is it the fact that they package something up so well that I just buy it regardless. Oh, Shut Up and Sit Down? Yeah. That Jay and I were literally just talking about this before uh, because we found out, uh, just like whisper, 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 whisper right, that, right. Um, that, Quinn's uh, has played mind management and enjoyed it. Nice. So we're like, please, please, please uh, give us <laughs> feature. Oh airtime. yeah. Well, so the thing is that they, they are probably, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to go on a limb here as I am a limb yeah. and say that they are, <laughs> they are 100% the most influential reviewers out there. I think mm. uh, like their word sells games. And I think it's because they are, um, they give their opinion very clearly. And the most of their piece is entirely opinion. Mm-hmm. And if you agree with it, you're going to buy it. Whereas a lot of other reviewers, like 90% of their review is a rehash of the rules. Overview. That I yeah. can read for myself. Yeah. Yeah. On another site. So- and what I like about them is that they're clever um, with the wording and, sure. the pace- and the pacing of their, of their script. Right. Yeah, yeah. They make you feel clever too for liking that. Yeah. Stuff. Well, that, well, and I mean, uh, and of course, just for me too, the appeal of that, that British accent, because nostal- <laughs> well, nostalgically for, for me, it's right away. I'm like, okay, this could be Monty Python in a split second for me. And I'll just be like <laughs> happier than anything. Right. So, um, but, uh, yeah, they, when they, when they put war whispers on and they talked about it and they said, this is, Kind of like risk, but instead of being the countries, you're the manipulators in the background, the advisors that are pulling the strings. Oh, see, and I that, love it already. Yeah, I haven't, and, I haven't even heard of this. Oh, cool. I'm, like, I'm all over this. See, yeah. now you guys got me spending money. Yay. What's so up how, with that? So how it is is you got this world in front of you and the board's round. I love that right away. Mm. Um, and you have this world in front of you with kind of five um, areas of nations. And there's like the bear faction, the the mammoth, the, the horse riders. Oh, fun. Um, yeah, there's five factions that have unique variances to them, right? Um, and um, around the board, each, each faction has 
council seats that you as players put your advisors and go to manipulate different courts to move because how it all works so and this we're is all Varric the spider yeah how it all <laughs> works is in front of you you have five positions and on the far left is a city times four and then the next one is a city times two and then the middle one is city times zero and then i think the last one that there's that kind of range yeah. of point selection so you have these um these little discs that have the symbol of the countries that are mm -hmm. on the board you randomly put them out and then you put them face down on your your player tableau and you have a look to see okay who's who's my country that's going to score me um, four points per city and so that's where you're pushing and pulling this whole board and you're and not only that what i, I what when i played it, it was a three player and the immediately noticed that you can will all you want the movement on this board but you need to pay attention to what everybody else is wanting to sure. push because my four pointer could be both of my other opponents minus ones right so i could be just in this futile endeavor of trying to keep them strong um and after every so there's uh I think four rounds yeah four rounds and after every round just before you start the next round you have the option of going Revealing I can something? I can switch my bet, <gasps> but if I switch my wow. bet, I have to reveal it. Right, that makes that makes sense. Right, I can so see I can see the design in my head. So yeah, right. So and then you and and uh, there's cards in this whole thing as well because the cards, those are those rule breakers where it's like, oh, right. you know what? Uh, any empty thing in this country, I'm going to put a banner, which is an army. Right. And ah oh, man, there's I I was just thinking for days after this game. Who's how, the publisher and the designer? This is, I've got it right in front of me here. Um, this is, come on, internet speed. This is designed by Jeremy Stoltzfus and it's published by Starling Games. Okay, cool. And uh, they've had to do a second edition already because uh, the first one just sold out. So yeah, oh, this I was talking about this one a while, Ryan, where it's like, yeah, we got to try this one because it's not a take that. It's mm -hmm. a, it's a, don't watch what I'm doing because I'm just going to <laughs> watch the left hand because yeah. so you don't see what the right hand's doing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So obfuscation, the game. Yeah. yeah, you've talked about this one quite a while. We just never had it line up where we could play. And this one seems like it would benefit at like having the max number of players. Oh, yeah. What is the almost. player? Four. four. Yeah, up to four. I up to four. I think there's an maybe there's an expansion or a talk of expansion, but more than four i could see it just being chaotic like mm. like too much adhd to oh yeah yeah and that's saying coming from too, me too right? many too many cooks <laughs> in the kitchen yeah but i really enjoyed this i can't wait to play it again so um I yeah hope... sounds fascinating yeah hi if you like the content we're creating and the podcast episodes we're producing Please leave a happy rating on the podcast platform that you use. This would be such a great gift and would also help others find our podcast when they search for board game podcasts. And if you have the time, check out our new YouTube channel where we have new content every few days. Just search Bridge City Board Gamers on YouTube. Thanks, eh? And we're back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. We're going straight into 
One of my favorite topics is the designer series. And Ryan, why don't you uh, reintroduce our guest? Sure. So if you're just joining in on the podcast right in this moment, and you haven't listened to everything else beforehand, we have a special guest, <laughs> Sen Fung Lim, friend of the show. He's been on the show a few times I think this before, is your third too. time, yeah. yeah I think this, that might be number three because um, last time we had him on, we were talking the Coded Chronicles yeah. uh, game series, which, by the way, A-OK in my book, I'm loving them. Thank yeah. you. I, I, we, we really enjoyed the Scooby-Doo one. That was, that was fantastic. We haven't had a chance to play The Shining yet, mm-hmm. but I want to get my hands on The Goonies. Oh, yeah. That, that, one, looks, that one looks fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that cool. one is good. Okay, so the way I like to do this structure, um, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of James Lipton from uh, the, <laughs> uh, yeah, how he goes, let's go back to your childhood because that is an influence on what's... It, it totally is. It is, it is, and that's why I like peanut butter, right? Um, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, uh, what is it? Grilled cheese and tomato soup, watching the Flintstones. Um, so early influences, let's start off. Yeah. Um, uh, where did you grow up? And I mean, you could throw down the decade, um, the era, sure. and the and the ge- the geography because we're all we're Canadians at this table. I right grew now. up in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, which is the hub of the Great Lakes. So it's at the yeah. meeting point of Superior and Erie and Huron. Um, and I grew up there in the seventies and the eighties, and then I moved to Hamilton from one steel town to another steel town. <laughs> Uh, and then I ended up in London uh, to work at a clinic here um, after many, many years of working at clinics elsewhere. Uh, but yeah, so and now I teach at the college here in in um, London, Ontario, Canada. So Canadian born and bred. And yeah, my influences are from being a northerner, uh, which is like nothing is up there. It is cold <laughs> and bitter and cold that's what it is so basically saskatchewan with uh, lakes around you yeah it's just cold think of, think of saskatchewan with a Wind. lake effect yeah because you must get some bitter cold coming off those great lakes yeah so i mean like it, it's it's basically so i've been i've been all over the country um you know portage in maine is friggin windy and cold <laughs> but uh you don't have the you don't have like it coming off the water when it comes off the water it's oh, just a different it's a bone it's marrow a, yeah it's a mm. wet penetrating cold Ugh, um you and can't so warm I, up. I live on the other side of the lakes now um and we get this like dry fluffy snow and like so what is this because i'm used to like wet heavy snow piled like six to ten feet high like people people where i live now they don't <laughs> believe me when i say i used to walk home on snow piles that were 10 feet high because uh, you'd <laughs> shovel the snow yeah. and, and the snow from the roads and would go into these big piles in your ditch. Yeah. And then we would walk home on the top of them because <laughs> if you walked home um, on the sidewalk, clear the sidewalk, but if you walked home on the sidewalks, cars couldn't see you. And so they might pull out. Yeah. But if you walk on the top, you might fall <laughs> 10 feet down. That would well, they would see yeah, the other way. They'd just see this toque. <laughs> Kind of. Yeah, <laughs> very Canadian of you yeah. to see it. Uh, and like, I mean, I used to ski to school, so I mean, yeah, it's it's wet and cold and rainy and and yucky. Well, let's get to but some, also super nice. Let's so. get to some geek foundations of like sure. bedrock of of where you where you are now. And I know that you and Ryan are gonna like start bonding because I think you guys 
probably consume the same video games and the same comic books. So let's start there. Like maybe, yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, maybe. Growing up, what kind of video games were you? Were you like? Were you, were you? It was sort of like I own this game. Nobody can dethrone me. Uh, I mean, not really. I was I was into. I loved like stand up, uh, like coin op games. Mm. Um, but. I really wasn't allowed to play many of them because they cost money. So <laughs> I like really liked hanging out at the Safeway when my dad was shopping. I would just watch the older kids play like Omega Race and stuff like that, like vector graphics type stuff. Uh, but my dad, because he's an engineer and engineers do stuff like buy the best computer you can for thousands and thousands of dollars when it has 64K of RAM. Um, <laughs> And so my my weapon of choice was the Commodore 64. Um, and so I loved, um, like, I still have, like, distinct memories of uh, probably my favorite, favorite, favorite game was Archon, um, which is oh, a, it's like combat chess. Yeah, yeah. Um, I loved Archon. I loved Mule. These are all electronic arts games, by the way. Uh, yeah. Radon, Bungling, Radon Bungling Bay, which was a Broderbund helicopter um kind of like blue thunder airwolf kind of i'm thing, having flashbacks right now right uh impossible mission um and all of the uh like so this was at the very end of it and this this leads back to coded chronicles was all of the um games that you could like the sierra quest games and stuff was hmm. a little later than that yeah. so um, that was, those were the types of games I like to play, um, point and click adventures, monkey Island, curse monkey Island. Um, and those know, are all a lot game. of story driven games too. Oh yeah. Tons of those. That's exactly why we, we yeah. made, we made code of chronicles based on our mutual love of point and click adventure games. See, uh, that's so why Jay I like and I both love those things. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, even like Zork and suspended and. All of those uh, Infocom games, I I can still play them. I, I still remember exactly what steps to make in those games. I love those games. Cool. Yeah. So that's that's what I played a lot of. Um, mostly the lonely kid in the basement. Games. <laughs> well, on on the best computer around. <laughs> wow. I mean, at the time, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, so now. Um, in the reading material area, I, I, I was, I mean, I was kind of mainstream. I was a Marvel kid when I, when I went and, and got my stuff, but Ryan, you're, I think you're like on the master level of, of your, uh, I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't call it master level, but well, I compared am, to I, me, I, I, I am a fanboy. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, what kind of reading material do you consume or did you consume or have you grown up? Oh, with? I mean, so it's funny. So, uh, like I was finished reading Lord of the Rings when I was like six years old, I think yeah. was when I finished reading wow. Lord of the Rings. Nice. Uh, yeah. My mom uh, is from England. And so she would always listen to the BBC and the BBC always was talking about, you know, Tolkien this and Tolkien that at, at this specific time in the seventies. Yeah. And uh, so she said, Oh, you should read that. And it's like, okay. And I did, and I finished it. And then I was like, okay, now what? And so my parents decided to drop me off in the basement of the local university to play Dungeons and Dragons. And that's where I actually started gaming was Yay. when I was six years old playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Actually, it was Chainmail at the time, right? So playing Chainmail and then um, Dungeons and Dragons, 
as a six-year-old with like college students and university students and their professors. Wow. That's, that's how I grew up. Uh, Cause my parents didn't know what to do with me. They were like, you're precocious. <laughs> Go do something that will keep you out of trouble. Go challenge um, your intellect. Yeah. Something like that. And uh, it's funny. My dad today was telling a banker, do you know how long my son was at university? He was at university for like nine years. Cause he was, I don't know what he's going on about today, but he was just, uh, you know, they think, they well they, i did and it's true they uh they were always really mad at me not mad just like disappointed that i didn't focus and that i was um a dabbler my mom called me a dabbler um and they took me to a psychologist when i was a kid uh funny because i teach psychology now uh but they took me to a psychologist as a kid and they were even more mad when my, the psychologist tested me and said yeah he can do whatever he wants he's you know super smart so whatever he wants to do let him do yeah and they're like but he just dabbles he doesn't focus on anything he doesn't finish because well, he's figured it well, out in that's his head. that's that's it too I, I don't i never used to finish things until yeah. i until i partnered up with jay and this will become a very relevant thing later in terms of i finished everything in my head exactly um and it was my my gifted teacher mrs sarder who i love to death um so much so that i dated her daughter i don't know <laughs> That was a weird thing. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Mrs. Sarter told me in like grade four or five or something like that, you know why you never finish anything? And then she went on to explain that whole yeah. thing. Like you never finish anything because of this. And what do you think about that? And I was like, I don't know. And then it wasn't until I met Jay. And then many years after meeting Jay, we said, let's make games. And He's like, well, we got to actually make it. I said, really? Can't I just think about it? Yeah. <laughs> and so he was the one to really get it out of my head, which was perfect because without him, I wouldn't actually do this, right? Yeah. I need to co-design because I'm not, I'm too cerebral. Like I'm too like up mm-hmm. in my head. Oh, but getting back to reading material. So here's the story of my comic books. Um, my, it sounds stereotypical, I know, but my aunt and uncle owned a grocery store, like a corner store. Yep. which is a very Chinese thing to do, a very Asian thing to do. Uh, but what they did was they kept one of every comic book for my cousins nice. uh, since like this, since like 1960 something. Whoa. So their entire garage um, was full of comic books. I'm not talking like on the wall. I'm talking stacked flat. <laughs> yeah. So anything uh, from like the, that era I've read like held in my hands and read um, like I had, I have, I have, I, I think I still have like Hulk 181 and stuff like that from the, the early eighties. And I have a lot of comics from that era still, but they kept one of everything um, because why not? They, yeah. they ordered like 20 of everything. So whatever didn't sell, they kept one of whatever sold. They still kept one of because, mm-hmm. you know, the boys really wanted. So I would go over to my aunt's house and uncle's house uh, and read comics all the time. And then when I left their house, I would take a whole bag with me and I just returned. It. it was like a, it was like a library for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've read probably everything. Cause I don't think they got Marvel. Uh, I have all that Marvel stuff from later days, but um, they had a lot of, of DC. I think that's all they ordered was DC at the time. Um, and so like, <laughs> you've ever seen the covers of like, you know, uh, the Justice League and then yeah, the yeah. League of Villains playing sports against each other. Have you ever seen those kinds of covers? Yep. I have, the one-offs. Yeah. <laughs> hilarious. So there was, I have like giant size omnibuses of things because they're like weird 
they're like three feet tall and oh the oversized stuff wide yeah Yeah, yeah. i have a bunch of that stuff uh both marvel and dc um but i mean and none of it's in great condition a lot of it is like you know written in or you know some kids have you know done stuff with it but um the point is that like that's all i read (laughs) as a kid well well, and then i read i lived in the library so i love libraries i i think i've read every single like tom swift uh hardy boys Anything that was an anthology series, I loved. Anything that was a series, I loved. I just loved continuation of character. And this yeah. is what I'm putting together from from listening to this is you've pretty much seen and read every storyline and story splinter and and character splinter and because of the of the amount of stories that you've consumed, you you pretty much got like a mind map of any which way that you can navigate a, a narrative. Yeah, and it's 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 pretty funny because uh, you know if you bring up things like Scooby Doo, uh, Warner Brothers asked us actually when they read my writing, they're like, "Oh, which episode was this from?" <laughs> right, because it was like it's not from any episode. I just wrote yeah. it out of my head because yeah. I've literally watched every single thing of Scooby Doo ever. So if, there, just, if it's got Scooby Doo in it, I've watched yeah. it. So you and just if it's like a, into a, it. a comic of it, yeah. I've, I've probably read it i don't know i I do i have read a lot of like you know the the kid stuff but if it's an adult comic like uh the scooby-doo one that was uh, the scooby-doo apocalypse was great i read that that's wonderful (laughs) it was super fun uh but yeah like i've i've literally consumed every single iota of scooby-doo media that can be consumed um you know, if it's video, 100%, I've done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's written, that's a little harder to get my hands on all of it. But I have read a lot of Scooby-Doo comics. And now, when you're reading, things. how yeah. are you processing this? Are you processing this from a point of view of, of I'm going to enjoy the story? Or are you processing it from a point of view of, this is how they're building the story? Both. Both. So I, I, I do screenwriting and I'm working on comics and things yeah. like that. You know, it's nothing special or great any at, at this time, but it is something that I hope to do. I think I probably wanted to be a writer more than I wanted to be a game designer. But it's intrinsically motivated, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's even it's even more so because all I do is I set a goal, I set a word goal. I have a I have a program, my writing program actually every day says, "Hey, write 500 words," and I do because it told me to. <laughs> <laughs> and so something gets out, and like so that's what a lot of people don't understand. Like a lot of people say, "How do you do so much?" A computer told me to. <laughs> right? And that's paranoia for you if you if you've ever played paranoia. I'm friends with the computer. The computer <laughs> told me to, so I'm going to do it. Otherwise, I'm going to get disintegrated and then my clone will come out. Yes, um, Al. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um and I'm a firm believer of just getting stuff out now yeah. so much more than I was when I was a kid. I'd hold it all up in here. It, it's funny, even today in the classroom, because uh, kids are into final projects and mm. doing research. And and I told them, they're like, I could seem frustrated. And I said, don't edit. Just put it on the paper. Yeah. Edit later. Just edit let later. it flow. Edit later. And and because it's French immersion, a yeah. lot of them were like, because they, they thought, oh, I have to write my notes in French. And went, if you're consuming the, the media, like your research in English, write the notes in English and translate it later get that flow going and, and, yeah. and, and do the, do the fine tune after like rough cut, get some rough cuts done and yeah. then finish yeah. it later. Perfect. Yeah. Editing is such an art form too, that if you're trying to learn how to edit while you're trying to learn how to write, oh, 
probably going to fail at both. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm a firm believer in just now getting my writing out instead of leaving it up here and yes, editing it later, like much later. Like I work, I write to word count for, uh, most RPGs are done by word count, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So, uh, it's like 2000 words. Okay. Here's 2000 words. And then they give me, you know, notes back and say, okay, yeah. now I'm going to edit it. Like I'm not, I don't, I might edit, um, <laughs> a first pass, just a, like a light edit, yeah. Yeah. but until you give me notes, I'm not going to spend my time actually editing mm-hmm. that all the Something. time. I know you're going to want, I don't, you're going to want changes. So yeah. You're not going to chase. Wait. You're not going to chase your tail for no reason. No. Yeah. No. Cool. I mean, I'll I'll do a like the first pass is like, does this make sense? Is the spelling correct and the grammar correct? Because it's for an audience who's not just me. And then I pass it on, and people give me notes, and then I then I put more much more effort into editing it to their tastes and things like that. So. Yeah, like director's yeah. notes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So lots um, of comics, lots of like. I lived in the library as a kid. I would, I would go, I would bike to the library uh, with a backpack full of books to drop off and pick a backpack full of books up. And then chances are I would be there if not two days, three days from after that. Cause, Cause you're only allowed to take 10 books out as a kid. Get a limit. So yeah. I had 10 books. I would read them in like two or three days. And I'd go back every two More. or three days. Yeah, that was my summer. My summer well, was just reading, 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 reading. And I have, uh, I wouldn't say I have a photographic memory, but I have a really good memory. Although I'm getting old now. It's, it's, I'm turning 49 tomorrow. So it's uh, not as good as it used to be, but I remember things that I've read. You got the uh, mind palace thing going really on. Really quite well. And yeah. if I, if I drew it, I remember it even better um, and if I wrote it and drew it, I remember it even better than that. So yeah, there's a lot of the, um, of that kind of stuff. So I, I, like, I can see, I can, well, I can see right now, I can see Thunderbird dying in you know, X-Men right now in my head. Right. So I can, <laughs> I can see all these things, just the way they were drawn. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's interesting to, to think about all a lot of cognitive triggers kind of thing. Yeah. But all of that helps me with my writing because and I, and I, you know, I try not to be super tropey and I try not to just like pull directly from the source, but yeah. there is something to be said about touchstones and cultural touchstones that people um, like and want and that resonate with them and mean something to them. And then you're able to filter it and interpret it mm-hmm. into your own yeah. perspective. And your it own also word. makes you a little bit of a hard ass. Uh, when like the Marvel movies first came out or the X-Men, even worse, the X-Men movies came out and you're like, this is not the X-Men. <laughs> this was not and, it. Or, or even worse, this is not the Fantastic Four. <laughs> Those were horrible, horrible movies. Strike two. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I, I think reading is, uh, you know, one of my favorite things. I don't know if you were looking at my Twitter the other day, but I, I wrote something like, hey, if you were a ghost, where would you want to haunt? Because my friend uh, <laughs> <laughs> said that he'd want to haunt a uh, library. And I'm like, you are right. I would haunt a library too. Guaranteed. I love libraries. It's like, pick that book, pick that book. Oh, uh, I haven't read that one yet. <laughs> um, cool. Um, we have mentioned that, that you've got this, you got this duality in education and instruction yeah. and, uh, you have been on the show when we, we did had a little stint called cardboard in the classroom, uh, prior to all of this, uh, chaos of our reality. And, yeah. um, <laughs> um, so 
quickly does does one contribute to the other or is there is there kind of an evaluative approach that you have an in instructional design that brings into game design i think both really do play off each other really well because in, in the end uh i design by for experience right that's mm -hmm. what i'm doing both when i'm teaching and when i'm making a game because ostensibly a game can teach and it's um, uh, you can teach through a game yeah. so why not yeah. um so yeah i believe both are cultured designed experiences in a box or in a classroom or in a setting or whatever, however you're delivering it, yeah. they are specifically intentional and they are experiences that are meant to be experienced in some specific way, but it's okay if people experience it in slightly different ways. Cool. Um, but yeah, like I have intention when I write tests, I have intention when I make exams and slides and my, even my course layout in my course shell for my uh online classes every day is the same but not the same content but i mean it's laid out exactly Format. the same yeah. so my students know at the top are the slide deck the second yeah. one are the videos i expect you to watch the day before the the, the yeah. class the Routine. stuff under that is yeah. your uh your quizzes or assignments that are due tonight at midnight and then the stuff after that is stuff that's due next week at midnight the week after right so because I, I teach each class once a week mm -hmm. um and so by intentionally designing things in a way that the layout matters in a way that the wording matters and the content matters the experience that those students are gonna are gonna have is very different than if i just said here are all the videos and here are all the yeah. tests and here are, i do that as well though i have like a page like if you're looking for just assignments here's all the assignments, yeah. but they're cross-linked. So they go into the right slots yeah. in the learning management system. Right. Um, and then game design is I, I do do a lot of not necessarily teaching in my game design, but I use aspects of teaching in game design, uh, you know, for things like um, just even standard educational theory stuff like Vygotsky, yeah. uh, you know, zone proximal development stuff or whatever, where it's like, okay, so if you think about it from a role-playing perspective, uh, a lot of times like you're, the GM is really the, you know, the, the teacher and the students are the players and that zone proximal development is what you can do together, right? Yeah. Like without the GM, you can't really go very far. Yeah. So you need that GM to kind of pull you across the gap of what you can do. But anyway, um, so I use a lot of um, developmental theory, design theory together when I'm making games to make sure that they're age appropriate, developmentally appropriate, that kind of stuff. And then teaching strategies um, in game design for things like, you know, even just again, Vygotsky, uh, stuff like uh, scaffolding things in so that you can later take them away. So yeah. as you get experience, we're going to take that, that scaffolding away so you no longer have to think about it, do it. You're just automatically kind of doing the thing you're supposed it to do. It turns innate, yeah. Yeah, so we, we do that in game design by starting off with these scaffolded experiences, take those things away, and now you're doing stuff fully. Um, and I'm sure, Ryan, that like in that um in like the campaigns for for marvel heroes marvel champions um that there's probably some scaffolding in there 
like in the earlier campaigns, like remember to do this, remember to do that in the instructions. And then for the second and third parts of those campaigns, yeah. like just, just go for it, dude. It's program. Yeah, you just do, yeah. You just do it. Yeah. yeah. And so a lot of that stuff from instructional design is making the rule books better, uh, making that kind of first teachable level uh, that isn't quite a level to play, but it's a level to learn on. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the stuff that, um, you know, I didn't start doing, but I'm thinking about it more and more now. Like, how do we make the first level, like an introductory level where stuff is scaffolded in, where stuff yeah. is done in a way that, that makes a lot of sense for players so that when we expect it to play the full game, they've already got some background knowledge and can play fluently instead of kind of like always checking the rules. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I think, I think there's a lot to be said about it. I'd have to actually sit and think about uh, <laughs> actual aspects of that. Uh, but I, I definitely would like, like to, I actually like to do that at some point when I have some, some downtime to think about, okay, so what is the, what instructional design, um, you know, touchstones can we apply yeah. to game design? Cause design is design is design in a lot yeah. of ways, but then it's just the focus. What is the focus of this design versus this is this design and, and what can I bring from one to the other? My, my favorite thing to actually do, uh, isn't game design. Um, when I, when I'm like reading or, yeah. or like listening to podcasts, I get really actually very interested in what other professions could bring to game design, right? So what could instructional design bring to game design? What could teaching bring to game design? What could, you know, whatever else profession mm -hmm. bring to game design? That's what I'm interested in uh, because, you know, I've listened to uh, most of the big names in game design for so long that I could repeat exactly what they yeah. said, or I've said it so much that I think I said it, but they probably said it. But the stuff that I hear from other perspectives and other professions and just even new people coming into game design is so refreshing and so interesting that it's like, oh, I wish I would have known this 15 years ago. It's Or you said something that I've been trying to say, but you said it so much differently mm. and so much better because of your fresher perspective. Yeah. So that's what I that's what I like. So, yeah, I'll that's a great question. <laughs> This episode is proudly supported by the amazing team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge right here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escape's escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team, ensuring their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. Um, and that's, I mean, that's just the joy of stepping out of your, of your, your comfort area and appreciating something else that, that can influence, you know, that have that eureka moment and go, oh, there's where I can cross into this and this is where this can cross into that. Yeah. And, and not necessarily have to be part of, you know, the, the, the direction that you're going kind of thing. No, it really is like a growth mindset <sighs> towards game design, right? Or towards yeah. design at all. So um, can you learn from other people? Let's uh, let's quickly move down. I'm just looking at our at our clock, and let's let's talk about some of your yeah. Let's <laughs> talk about some of your games, and sure. um, um, in, like at first we're going to go through the beginnings to the to the current, but um, 
how about we start with with what's going on now and just move backwards because I think uh, um, just from our talk, um, the, all the everything from the past has has contributed to the growth of what's going on now. So let's talk about what's what's interesting and new now. And um, I'd like to uh, I'd like to I'd like to bring our attention to uh, you had mentioned this already. Uh, mind management. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, give, give us a quick talk about uh, um, off the page games that you and Jay uh, this initiative and uh, the first title coming out of out of this sure. new publishing foray. Yeah, so so it's really just Jay that's doing the publishing. So we I actually t- 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 talked to him today. Uh, he was interviewing me for something that he's doing. Uh, Jay's all, Jay has an exit plan, and I, that, I'm I'm part of the exit plan but not part of that exit plan. So his exit plan from work is, uh, is you know, trying to figure out how to uh, monetize game design in, mon- in different ways and whatnot, which is great. Um, but I like my job, so I'll stay in my job. <laughs> but uh, part of that is off the page games. And Jay said, um, so here's a big story. The big long story is this. Mind management was with a publisher. Yeah. And then it was with another publisher because of stuff that happened with the first publisher. And then the second publisher folded and with, before they published it. And Jan are like, damn, we don't want to have to pitch this again because pitching a game is one thing, yeah. but pitching it that when it already has a license is another thing. Uh, because it's like, oh, it does, you know, do, do I have to pay the, the license fees and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it, there's a lot more stuff to worry about. Um, and then one day Jay said, or actually Matt, Matt Kint, the, the artist and writer for my management, the comic book said, Hey guys, I run Kickstarters by myself all the time. And I make like, you know, $60,000 clear by doing all the work myself. And we're like, yeah, but we have other jobs. He goes, no, 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 no. I'll help. I'll do all that stuff. And nice. so Matt took a lot of it on. Uh, and so our partnership with Matt is very different than a regular partnership with a regular licensor. Like a, a regular licensor like Marvel is not going to do any work. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a, a co-pro, right? I mean, I'm yeah. taking my perspective from the theater world where yeah. you bring in two entities together yeah. to produce something. Yeah. And so um, Jay was like, well, okay. And let's talk. So it's, we talked together and, um, at the end of it, you know, Jay's like, well, what if I just did this myself? And I said, well, what if you just did this yourself? Because I don't, this, this isn't something that I've ever wanted to do. I yeah. don't want to necessarily be a publisher. Uh, someday, maybe I'll have like a little brand that does one game just because it's the only game I want to do. Yeah, That would be fine. But Jay has a vision towards moving towards publication, um, which is totally fine uh, given his, you know, his situation at work you know that he has been there for 25 years he's like yeah maybe it's time to do something else yeah um whereas for me it's like yeah i've only really been at the college for seven years full-time and five years part-time before that so i've got i've got some years in me before i think it's still got things you want to do yeah sure right and so it's like yeah you why don't you do this yourself and obviously i'll help you uh because we're partners but i don't need to have a stake yeah. In this, like monetarily or decision making. He can be like, on point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And you can make these decisions without having to ask me. I'm happy if you do ask me. I'm more than happy to help you, but you don't have to ask me. Um, and 
you know, we've been talking lately about, you know, what if Sen was a silent partner um, and just provided money, right? And that would be fine too. It's like, yeah, I can, I don't need to make any of the decisions, mm -hmm. but if you need financial support to make this something, because the pandemic happened is really yeah. why we're having this talk. It's like shipping costs are like seven times as much as they used to be. We need to figure something out uh, to make everything work. Um, anyway, long story short uh, is that off the page games is Jay and Jay had the vision to say, it's only going to be with, creator-owned comic books. Uh, why? Because we like creator-owned comic books. Yeah. A lot of our favorite books as adults are creator-owned. And there's a lot less red tape. Like, you don't have to deal with Marvel's lawyers, <laughs> which is a good thing. Uh, we just deal with the, directly with the artist and the writer, um, with their agents, maybe, you know. And uh, it's turned out to be a really good relationship for what has happened so far. We've got uh, Mind Management, which was a you know a New York Times bestselling graphic novel from Matt Kent about psychic agents who are putting a stop to global domination um, from the company they used to work for. Yeah. So the agency they used to work for is trying to take over the world. Um, <laughs> and so this is our take on hidden movement. So one versus many hidden movement. Um, and we that. like, we like hidden movement games. Like we, we love that kind of stuff. Um, I love deduction and logic games and we thought this, so I don't know if you've noticed, but Jay and I have kind of one of almost every type of game. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, not every type of game. Like, I don't think we have like a miniatures war game yet. Uh, but you, you explore as designers, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Which is, which was actually our intention from the get go. We actually have a saying called MVP, <laughs> which is uh, the V is for variety. Um, the P is for persistence. Uh, the M is for motivation. But uh, the, <laughs> uh, Jay will talk about this more if you ever want to talk to him about this. The, the idea is that the V is versatility, really, is that we wanted to show publishers that we could make any kind of game and make mm -hmm. a good version of any kind of game. Uh, and I think we've actually succeeded in that. Like we've, we've made a really good Euro game in Belfort. We made a really good tiling exploration game in Akrotiri. Oh. We made a really good party game in, but wait, there's more, you know, we've made a really good escape room in a box game with Scooby-Doo. So, you know, are they all perfect? No. Are they in the top 10 on BGG? No, but, but it, it shows a diversity in 99 million other games that aren't yeah. either. So it shows a yeah, diversity it. In, in craftsmanship too. And that's it. So like, I mean, and this is absolutely no knock on uh, Vital or no. um, or like Matt Leacock. Yeah. They're they're both you know people I know like and Matt's groove. a good friend of mine. Yeah. But th yeah, they are in a groove and they do what they do. Yeah. And uh, you know, you know a Feldian game when you see one. Yeah. And you know if you're gonna like it or not because it's gonna be very similar but kind of different, right? Yeah. Uh, same with Matt's games. Same with uh, you know lots of designers kind of have a niche and they kind of stick to it. There's not a lot of designers out there who do wide and varied stuff. Like I'd say, you know, we do that. And, um, you know, Vlajet does it, uh, where, you know, party game like code names and Mage Knight, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So there are, there are definitely people who do what we do. Uh, and some of them might even do it better like Vlaja. Uh, but, uh, the idea behind that, uh, for us was really, you know, finding a niche, in the industry where people would come to us and say, 
So we see that you can do like any type of game. We have an idea, we have a license, but we yeah. don't know how to execute it. What do you think you could do that? Yes, yes, we could. Oh, right? well, then that's the brilliant thing is that you have the repertoire to go. Yeah. Look at look at our range. Yeah. Th that's that's it. Like we we're we're like jack of all trades, masters of none, I guess. But uh, that's not a bad thing. Uh, but that's the most humble thing to say, too, right? Yeah, I mean, it's in, just like you're always the, working towards. Yeah, it. in this this industry. So, like when when uh, when the Scooby Doo project came up, when Crota Chronicles came up, um, that was literally just friends at the op who knew us knew that we like Scooby Doo. Uh, that was part <laughs> of it. Um, but they also thought, oh, you know, Sen and Jay, you know, they can kind of design anything. Do you think they could do like an escape room? Well, I don't know. Why don't you ask them? Okay, ask them. <laughs> and they asked us, and we're like, yeah, we could do that. And we we said, oh, I already do that in school. And Jay's like, oh, I've already done that for work. And it's like, oh, good. Okay, so pitch us an idea. And we pitched them this this idea that wasn't exactly Coded Chronicles, but turned into Coded Chronicles, and it's probably better because it didn't didn't yeah. do what we did before or what we were gonna do. Um, but uh, really, what separates Coded Chronicles from a lot of other escape room is that narrative right but also the ip so it's ip it's true to the ip and it has like such strong narrative hooks uh that if you're into that kind of game it's it's like your jam because it's like yeah. oh and i get to read a story while i'm playing and so many families have you know written us and said this was you know perfect for playing with my kids and we read the book together and all that kind of stuff so as a teacher, that makes me very happy. You know? oh, Brian, um, so yeah. Brian, you guys have played this. Yeah, Jen and I played it. Um, we decided to do like, you know, a couple evenings on a weekend type of thing. Yeah. Um, and Regan is just starting to discover Scooby-Doo. And so we're, hope we're, we're hoping because he's becoming my little gaming little buddy <laughs> lately. And little so, Padawan. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, I am that dad that, you know, He's doing his, he's already a grade level ahead in math because he plays Pokemon so much. Right. And, and so he's like, because he's already got all the multiplication and additions and subtractions down. So, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, I'm hoping Screw to do you, Piaget. That. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's this all about card looks smaller. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about Pokemon. You, you can teach, you can well, teach yeah. most of that elementary school math with Pokemon. You, you literally could. And I bet you do a good job of it. Because yeah. people would be interested in it, right? Yeah. Now, now, now he's getting into economics because he's like, mm. "Why did you say this card? Why can't I play with this card?" Well, son, that's a hundred dollar card. Why? <laughs> why a, is it worth a hundred dollars? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That'll that card will buy you this many cards. Ooh, let's take ooh, care of this one then. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. let's yeah. just go get those cards instead because. Yeah. I want more yeah. cards, Dad. Yeah, so, sell it. I want I want a hundred dollars in my piggy bank. <laughs> okay. I'm looking at um I'm looking at the your 2022 lineup, and um instead of bouncing through all of them, how about you grab one and and um give us a little bit uh you know of a of an experiential epiphany if there were any in these design moments because. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so the Kingdom Rush that's coming out in 2022 is Elemental Uprising, and we're just finishing that right now. Uh, level design is really difficult um, in any game, really. Level design mm -hmm. is not an easy thing uh, because you have to, again, you've done the mechanics, but now you have to apply the mechanics to a scenario 
or a setting and it's got to feel good and it's got to feel perhaps different than another scenario like you can't just repeat and rehash so every time you make a scenario you're probably making new rules marvel champions right <laughs> as you know uh, from just playing marvel champions so when you're talking about it it's like oh yeah of course they're going to put a thanos deck with that and of course you know each of the bosses is going to attack quite quite differently because humans by nature like novelty it's not a bad thing it's just that's what we like yeah um so yeah so that's coming out and we're we're currently plugging our way through the last six or seven scenarios uh and then we'll ship it to developers uh and we're doing that in partnership with lucky duck in poland and they're developing like in a like a side-by-side -side stream so that should get done sooner than later hopefully you know we'll be done by you know december end of december probably i think is we're aiming for that rat queens and that's with um with erica. Alara, yeah rat queens with erica um, Kingdom Rush is with uh, Alara Wright and Helena Hope, and so that's one of the hosts from Meeple Syrup. And then Rat Queens yeah. to the Slaughters with the other host of Meeple Syrup, Erica Uyuris, and myself did that one. And Alara is the developer on that, so that's actually a whole Meeple Syrup team thing. Cool, uh, which is really cool. And Rat Queens is based on a great comic by fellow Canadian uh, Curtis Weeb, who has unfortunately left us for uh, Sweden. He works for is he at Ubisoft in Sweden? He does oh. the writing for Gears of War. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And uh, Rat Queens was probably one of his most critically acclaimed comics. He also did like Peter Panzerfaust and some other ones. But yeah, so currently he's working in video games. And uh, Rat Queens has been one of my favorite things since, for, since its inception. It's just like punk rock, uh, women warriors and swearing and all sorts of stuff it's great uh psychedelic and <laughs> drugs and alcohol and wonderful stuff uh a little subversive and that was a kind of a uh reverse tower defense type thing i guess it was not reverse it's kind of tower defensey not as tower defensey as kingdom rush uh but then um re using deck building and to develop your characters and boss battles and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool um, getting to play in those various worlds, Kingdom Rush being another IP from a video game and Rat Queens being from a comic book. And then the Goonies from a movie, right? So I, like, luckily, I guess, get to play in lots and lots of sandboxes that different people own, which is fun, also difficult, also you know, we get to make subtle changes to things. So the Goonies, uh, Escape with One-Eyed Willie's Rich Stuff, is uh, from, if you've watched the Goonies, it takes place from the time they go down through the grate. Mm -hmm. um, but then you're saying, well, well, what happened to to Sloth and, and Chunk? <laughs> yeah. There's a whole other story there, my friend. Oh. Yeah. So And that's we, part of the Coded Chronicle series, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it'll have um, books and characters and puzzles galore and some great art from our friend Andy Jewett. Um, so it's it's a really cool game. Um, I would hazard to guess it's my it's I mean so Scooby holds a very very special place in my heart, mm -hmm. but Goonies is a really good game too. The Shining one, uh, unfortunately, there were some production things that went on with that because it was right at COVID. Yeah. Right at the start of COVID, and so we we there was a uh, 
there's an error check in the game that didn't get printed. So it's a little bit wonky, uh, which is unfortunate. Mm. So I'm not sure what's exactly going to happen with that game from now on, but well, considering you know, it's, not bad, it's not a yeah. bad fix. It's not, it's, there's not, it's not a hard fix. It's just, it kind of made some people sad <laughs> that oh. it didn't work quite well. It's a puzzle game and you yeah. can't solve the puzzle. You get upset. Yeah. Right. So that's what happened yeah, there. Fair enough. Yeah. Let's see what else there is. Oh, uh, mind management. There you yes. go. Which is, I, I'm really happy uh, with the reception it's got. I'm so over the moon when people like just tweet about it or something and say, look at the production quality of this. I've had, you know, my friends from Critical Role have played it and they're like, this is amazing. And like the art direction's fabulous and all this kind of stuff. It's like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's wonderful. There's a lot of work that went into that, making it what it is, the product that it is. So Jay and Matt put countless hours into coming up with the box and the container for the boxes and the, and container the coded for the container messaging the boxes. and oh yeah, it's oh, galore. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's just Matt being Matt. Matt's like that. And then yeah. we, we put stuff in there. Matt put stuff that we don't even know is in there. Like we don't, Jay and I don't even know what's in there. We see it and it's like, oh my gosh. But um, then there's some other stuff that, that we put in there. And there's an actual website that you can go to and enter the codes. And I was going to say, yeah. Get stuff. Yeah. Like downloadable content for the game that works in the I've, game. I've already nerded out and, and took the little kind of uh, a little code oh, the, the red, red thing looking yeah. around and went, hey, there's a little. And so I I check it out and yeah, I've got a couple <laughs> ah, openings. The Flux Safe House. Mm. The, um, uh, the app, the app, which is training oh, yeah. mode right now. Yeah. Um, I've played it and I'm, I'm going to, I can't wait till you guys open that up and, and uh, yeah, I run mean, some scenarios through that. We're, uh, we're hoping to, to get more of the rules in. So um, currently it will most likely start with the, uh, like all the, the stuff that's in the shift system. Yeah. Um, the shift system is a hilarious story. The shift system is a story of Evan Derrick, who is the designer behind detectives and um, Matt Leacock, who I don't know if you know him, designed a little <laughs> game called Pandemic. Yeah. He's pretty okay. Popped up on the radar. <laughs> yeah. So, so my management and the shift system is a story of how Jay and Sen broke Matt and De Evan's brains one day. Uh, because here, here's the thing, designers, if you're listening, uh, you will get caught in this trap that Jay and I got caught in of uh, scope creep, of just adding stuff to your game because it's cool. <laughs> and because you play with the same people, a lot of times, like we play with the same four or eight people in our yeah. two play test groups. And we thought, oh, we have two plus two play test groups. We're probably immune to this. Nope. We just kept adding stuff because they had played the game so much that they got not bored, but they're like, oh, remember I said before, humans like novelty? Yeah, more they toys. Wanted, they just wanted new things to play with, which is yeah. what the shift system is. And so we said, oh, this is a cool thing to do. Let's add it. Oh, this is a cool thing to do. Let's add it. And our, our players could handle it because they've gone through each iteration of it. But then we played with Matt, arguably, you know, one of the best designers of our time. Yeah. And Evan, who if you've ever played um, Detective, there are only two people in the world, maybe three, <laughs> who can actually write a detective scenario. That's how complex they are. So it's Evan, uh, Alara, who I work with, Alara Wright. And um, I think Logan might be able to, Logan Giannini might've worked for them as well. But there's really only two or three people in the world who are able to come up with a scenario for that game because it's just so complex. 
and we broke their brains is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, we melted their brains, not because it's overly complex in each individual little piece, but because when you throw everything at them at once, they're like, All these what flashing is going lights. on here? Yeah, yeah, it's like too much stuff, right? And so they're like, I don't know if there's even a good game under here, but there's so much stuff that it's overwhelming. And like Matt was just like exhausted after he played the game. Uh, and so we're like, we got to do something about this. Yeah. What are we going to do? And so we came up with the shift system, which is a gradual introduction of all these things, but based on um, win loss. Yeah. We wanted people to play the game a lot. Well, and it's, from an educator, yeah. ed educator point of view, uh, I looked at how, how this, because basically it's, you have you have the mind management on one side, and then you have the the resistance, or I forget what the term you use uh, on the other the side. The rogue agents. Yes, the rogues. And if the uh, if the mind management loses, then they open up a box to yeah. get themselves scout. So the scaffolding, I love yeah. it. Yeah, which is right? very much like 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 masks, right? If you lose, you get a bonus. Yeah, you just you bump up, bump up until the yeah. until it balances, and yeah. then the game is driven. At a head, at an even head to head, until one person goes out of balance, then you yeah. bring it back. Yeah, and I love the way that you've introduced that and the little comics and the narratives. Oh yeah, the comic; those are all brand new original comics that Matt drew just for this game. Oh, uh, nice. which is, because they, each of them explains mm. the actual shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's fascinating. Matt and it is makes a ridiculous sense human too. to work with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's so fun to work with. He just makes stuff all the time. He's just constantly creating and it's wonderful um and so yeah I, I think other than that the only thing oh yeah my singing monsters this is a good one because that's a local company to me uh big blue bubble is a app video game company that made this this app called my singing monsters um and uh if you know mark maya from board game breakfast do you know mark mm, yeah yeah he works for them and the CEO or the COO, one of these C's, one of the chiefs there said, <laughs> it was a big board gamer said, we should have a board game. And Mark's like, I know somebody who's local who could do that for you, right? Because we're like, you know, versatile. Right? <laughs> and so we got hooked up with them. We made them this board game. And this is the, the, the thing I love about this one is that it is made for families, but it's made modularly so that it grows with your players growing in skill. Uh, so the very first game is like, um, so in the, in the, in the app, you go to different islands and visit monsters on the different islands. And so the, the starting game is like one island. And then as you learn how to do the moves on that one island, you'll add another island and you'll just play the game with those two islands and add a third island, add a fourth island, add a fifth island until you're playing with all five islands and you're playing the full game. But that doesn't mean that all the games before that are like, you know, not fun. Mm -hmm. They still are but it just depends on how skilled your players are. So we wanted a game that would grow with the players, that there would be some modularity to it that was meaningful. I often will say modularity is a trap and post Admiral Akbar, <laughs> because a lot of times modularity doesn't actually mean what people think it means. Like it's, and the other thing about modularity is a lot of times is like, you can't test every possible combination yeah. of permutation and it, some of them are not good. Yeah. Right. Some of these combinations are just no good. So you know, tough luck if that's mm -hmm. the one that you put together the first time you set up the game out of the box, like a modular yeah. map. Yeah. Like, oh, this is really unbalanced. I'm not playing this again. Or it's, um, or it's just straight broken. Yeah. Yeah. So we made this one to kind of combat that, which is sort of our goal with every game. It's like, 
let's make a game that takes this thing and turns it on its head or, or let's take make a game that improves, I don't know, like roll and move or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we are, that's, that's what we do when we usually pick a new product or a new game project to work on. It's like, what can we do with this one? What is different than what we've done before? Uh, so yeah, that's, that's my, uh, 2021 and into 2022. There's a couple other ones, those ones that are at the top of the list. So adventure tactics, I just made a scenario in goblin vaults, Alara and I designed and developed a game for Keith, um, from Thunderworks, mm-hmm. but then Keith took it and redesigned it. So it's really now a Keith design yeah. with his friend, Tom, and then, uh, Alara and I are more developers of it. So. Yeah, cool. that's gonna. It's probably gonna shift in, ter- in terms of who did what, um, but yeah. Other than that, you know, Alara and I are working on a ton of other games as developers. Uh, so yes. yeah, things are going great. Well, that's that's that rounds out the episode perfectly because oh, uh, well, there you go. Um, uh, the- yeah, I'm I'm really excited for my singing monsters because uh, we learned about that when Jay mm-hmm. was on the show and it was oh, on yeah. Kickstarter. It was on Kickstarter at that time. And I backed it live <laughs> on the show. So I'm waiting for that. Sh- I'm oh, waiting. Good. I'm waiting. I'm going to wait for it because it sounds exactly what we like to do here at this house. For sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, just before you head out, um, uh, why don't you uh, let everybody know where they can find you and uh, what uh, other um, uh, kind of media content that you're producing that they can tie into? Cool. So you can find me on Twitter at Senfong Lim. That's S-E-N-F-O-O-N-G-L-I-M. That's where I am. And I talk about stuff from games and social justice and apparently my underwear. I talked about my underwear today on Twitter. <laughs> um, I saw that one. And, uh, <laughs> I had it on backwards. I was wondering, I was sitting here, I was sitting like, literally in this chair, sit, talking on this mic, teaching a class and going, why does my underwear feel weird? And then I, I was done class and I, I reached into the back and said, oh, that's why. So I was like, something weird here. And there's a tag on the front and there's no tag on the There's back. formatting issues with my underwear. Yeah, it's it just real weird. Um, so there you go. Things that Sen did not know is that underwear are shaped differently depending on which way you wear them. I can, I can yes, probably the, the inside. Out. I can the, list uh, every single like member of the Legion of Superheroes, but I do not know that underwear is shaped differently back to front and front to back. <laughs> so you heard it here. It they you cannot wear them inside out and backwards. Do not I try mean, this. I at mean home. you you can. Yeah. You totally can. The question Just, is, is um, will you be comfy? <laughs> I'm the kind of person I can't wear two different socks. I know my body just knows two different socks. Can't wear them. <laughs> I just I can't. I just I literally cannot wear them. It bothers me so much. Um yeah, and so other things that I'm working on right now, uh if you're into RPGs, yeah. uh Jiangshi Blood in the Banquet Hall is fulfilling very shortly, which is pretty cool. Can't that wait. is a, a game that Banana Chan and I wrote together. I about, kickstarted it. Yeah, thank you. About Asian immigrants, Chinese immigrants specifically during the uh, just post gold rush. So 1920s ish Canada, United States, and what the fallout is of that when hopping vampires attack your restaurant, uh, which, you know, happens. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. Uh, and then if you are interested in really out there kind of RPGs, we have one currently on Kickstarter called An Exquisite Corpse, That's Banana right. Chen and I, which is a drawing game. So it is a drawing RPG where you are. Uh, basically co-creating with your with your fellow players 
the denizens of the surreal world in which you are solving crimes as psychic detectives. Wow. So if you've ever remember from grade school, when you folded a piece of paper into three parts, and then somebody drew the head and they folded it back and then you drew the body and you folded it back and handed it to your friend who drew the legs. Yeah. That's what this game's mechanics are run on. Nice. Uh, that and like prompts, story prompts. Yeah. So it's a, there's no dice. It's diceless. There's no GM. Uh, it's just a, a drawing and storytelling game about crimes and the psychic detectives who solve them. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So that's going on there. And then uh, weekly, you can find me on the Meeple Syrup Show with my co-hosts, Erica Buiris and um, Alara, when she comes home from Northwest Territory. She is very <laughs> far away right now. And then she'll be back in January, most likely. Most more, more like February when she finishes her contract and then she'll be back and then we'll be in the full swing of things with all three of us. Um, and then you can find me also on Ludology as one of the co-hosts. Uh, I'm on there every now and then we rotate on a really sporadic basis. So yeah, yeah super fun. Excellent. Well, that's awesome. Um, and uh, that brings us to that, that uh, appreciative part of the episode where I always like to thank everybody for sticking around and listening to us all the way to the end. Thank you so much. And thank you, Sen. No problem. Yes, thank you again. And um, uh, that being said, I'm your host, Norm. And I'm Ryan. And we'll catch you later. This has been an episode of Cardboard Conjecture, and we are Bridge City Board Gamers. And you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Board Gamers Saskatoon. You can find us on YouTube, Bridge City Board Gamers. We are also on Twitter, at BC Board Gamers. And of course, Board Game Geek, Guild number 3039.